Ooh, what's up, Internet? My name's Nerdy, and welcome back to another edition of It's Just Video Games, the podcast where the title is a lie because it's not just video games. These things matter to us. We're gamers. We're nerds. This this is what we care about. And this week, I'm really excited to be having this conversation with my friend, The Playmat. Uh, Matt is an incredible Twitch streamer and mostly known for his DMing. We talk a lot about Dungeons and Dragons and the influence that Dungeons and Dragons has had on video games, particularly on the RPG genre, as well as the resurgence of D&D and the way that video games have kind of looped back around to it. It's a really it's a really great conversation. Before we jump into that, I want to take a moment right now to thank uh, all of our members of our Patreon over at patreon.com slash nerdy nightly. Y'all are the backbone of the whole operation here, and we couldn't do it without you. So I just had to start it off. If you want to join the Patreon, you can join for as low as $1 a month. At the $1 a month tier, you do get access to our patron-only Discord channel, as well as a weekly podcast called Around the Nerd Table, where Claris and I get a little bit more personal about our lives and what's going on, and you get a little bit more behind the scenes. You get a little bit, you know, some spicy takes, some things we don't necessarily say fully publicly because we, you know, don't, we don't want to get canceled. Um, (laughs) So if you want to join that, go over to Patreon, check that out. And for now, enjoy this conversation with The Playmat. All right, what is up, The Playmat? Hey, buddy. Do you, do you like go by The Playmat now? Uh, like, like, um, like in real life, like my parents and my, my partner in that. <laughs> no, yes. I highly, I highly uh, doubt your parents are calling you the playmat. <laughs> I make them do. No. Uh, yeah. The, the reason part of why I chose the playmat is because people can call me by Matt. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's fine. Yeah. I, I've been, I, I feel weird now when people call me David online and there are certain people who do like there are people yeah. in my chat who like, who frequently do, um, mm-hmm. because they know that my name's David and. I don't know, um, but um, I, I just find it weird now because like I feel like oh, when I'm online, I'm nerdy. Yeah, <laughs> and so I I've... I call Ariel Clarus so much now that I'll do it in like a text message with someone, and they'll be like, "Wait, who? Who are you talking about?" And I'm like, "Oh, that's oh, right. Yeah, <laughs> you don't know." It's it's funny. I worked at day camps for years, and I had many uh, like pseudonyms and names and stuff. So like to me. Have, knowing people by five different names or like you know it's 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 fine you know mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. absolutely um so uh matt the reason i wanted to have you on the pod uh you know it's it's called it's just video games that's what we talk about here but mm-hmm. you know i think that you're starting to kind of get known online as a pretty stellar dungeon master in the dungeons and dragons i think that you put on a really excellent show um during your dungeons and dragons streams thank you and I've always been fascinated, um, ever since I, you know, first played uh, Dungeons and Dragons three back in the day, with the mm-hmm. relationship between Dungeons and Dragons and um, modern RPGs as far as uh, video games go, and how that influence from Dungeons and Dragons through modern video games is so is still so present. Like it feels to me in a lot of ways like mm-hmm. RPGs have never really been able to break out of that system. And that we found we found something that worked and it works yeah. on paper, it works in board games and it works in video games. And we've all just kind of agreed to stick with it for, mm-hmm. what, 50, 60 years now. Mm-hmm. There, There is so much. And I feel like it all comes from like lore systems and stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like Lord of the Rings was one of the first like fantasy lore systems that a lot of the modern lore systems took from, right? Dungeons and Dragons, 
to me, D and D and the Forgotten Realms are two different things. The Forgotten Realms is just like the most known uh, setting for D and D, and so a lot of the the Forgotten Realms spells, the way wizards, uh, warriors, rogues, and stuff work. That's what a lot of modern RPGs, by modern I mean like in the past thirty years, mm -hmm. have taken from. That's also taken from Lord of the Rings and stuff, and it, it keeps on, it keeps on giving, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think something that's interesting about how these lore systems work and how like we think as a DM, because like when when I do a lot of homebrew Dungeons and Dragons, uh, which means I write my own stories, but my own stories are just amalgamations and inspirations of things I've seen in the past. Mm -hmm. um, a really good person for that is Matt Colville on YouTube. He's fantastic for anyone who wants to get into any of that stuff. Uh, but I digress. Um, but in terms of RPGs and how they work, people borrow and borrow and borrow and borrow. That's why you'll see a spell. If you've heard of the the word counterspell. You've seen that in 20,000 video games, but mm -hmm. it comes from D&D, &D, right? Um, which I think is really interesting because um, all these sto storytelling is just sharing, right? Um, and that's why I find it so fascinating that it still stands the test of time. Mm -hmm. And I think the genre is actually going through a revolution starting like in the next year or two. Um, really? Why do you say that? Because I think the reason why people play RPGs is A, for escapism. Mm -hmm. uh, and B for choice, and I think uh, the, uh, there's a, there are, there are two terms in Dungeons and Dragons uh, uh, when playing a style of game: the sandbox and the railroad. I'm sure you've heard yeah. of these mm -hmm. terms before. The railroad being um, I'm along for the journey, whatever it is. The sandbox being like I have my 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 character has the agency of choice, and the choices I make affect the game. And I think that's why The Witcher Three was such a popular game and like rated as one of the best RPGs. Um, of its year and like since modern time uh because the story was became personal when you could play the game twice and have two different outcomes and not just like two different endings yeah. two different outcomes as it branches out right i find it interesting the modern rpg that like i i understand that for a lot from a lot of perspectives witcher 3 is an rpg but i also don't consider it one in a lot of ways mm -hmm. um you don't have a lot of customization right like you're not no. playing it, it to me it really is more of a single player story game um Hell yeah. where with branching paths but mm -hmm. you know rpg has come to encompass so many different kinds of games but in my mind like rpg is like diablo right like i get to choose my class yep. i get to choose how i play the game i get to choose all of these different things whereas witcher 3 like there is one way to fight and there is one way to fight a noon wraith and there is one way to fight and like the game is about you know, if anything, Witcher 3 is almost like medieval Batman, where you have to yes. do the investigation, figure out how to take out the thing, take out the thing the mm -hmm. way that you figured out how to do it. Um, so, I, yeah, it, it, it's interesting, right? We have all of these, like, pseudo-RPGs that are really just story games with... Um, we've replaced, like, the skill tree with... You can pick up a bunch of different armor, <laughs> and you can choose which yeah. armor you're wearing. <laughs> I think, and I, because um, some of these are vessels for like beautiful graphics, story, and meta. Mm -hmm. And I think two that two like that branches up to two of the things I was thinking about this morning uh, before the podcast. Um, how we're getting into an age where I think people are getting a little bored with meta because every game has its own meta. And once you know the meta, it's like, well, I guess I have to play like this now. I don't mm -hmm. have to, but you know, if I want to, I want to play this in a longevity type setting. And that's what D and D is so fun is because as a dungeon master, I control the meta. And that's mm -hmm. why I like fifth editions, Dungeons and Dragons. It's so simple and easy to customize and it doesn't have all its built in rules. There's so much space to make decisions and stuff and to edit stuff. And I think that's why like Baldur's Gate three is going to, hopefully 
not change the whole game, but like put it a step in a new direction. That's why they're taking so long with that game, right? Mm -hmm. I played the early access and already from its first inception to like whatever patch it's on now when they released the Druid and they fixed a lot of stuff, it's the game's going to take forever. And people are wondering why, because they're putting trillions of animations, different, different outcomes, different items, different gear. They're trying to implement 12 classes. Um, so many other subclasses after that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's gonna be the true RPG experience because you're gonna get what you what you said, mm -hmm. right? Like I wanna play my character. And that's why people still play Skyrim today. And I was 100%. thinking about like recently, I'm like, why do people still play Skyrim? Like it's all the combat, like blah, blah, blah. I'm not gonna sh like on the game, but because when you play Skyrim with all these mods and stuff, you can really customize the gameplay to what you want. And that's ultimately what I think people want and why people are attracted to Dungeons and Dragons because they wanna play the, yeah. they wanna explore their creativity through video games, not just play through the story. You know what I mean? And uh, that's yeah. interesting. I yeah, I I found myself because I one of the first games I streamed was Skyrim um, mm -hmm. and I found myself a little bit. I, I think if I hadn't streamed it, I would have enjoyed it more. Um, mm -hmm. I think part of the problem I because I, I didn't love it. Right. I wasn't over the moon about it the way that so many people are. And I think Me part either. of that was that I was playing a game where everyone in my chat knew every single thing about the game already. And yeah. I didn't. And so I, I felt like I was playing from behind and people would be like, oh, no, no, go, no, go. That's not, no, okay. And I was like, all right, all right, all right, all right. I get it. I get that you guys have all done this a million times because it's a 10-year-old game. Um, but the other thing with me with Skyrim was I jumped into it and then it was like, do whatever you want. And I was kind of like, okay, I guess I'll just walk yeah. in a direction. Like I, and, and it ended up uh, like three or four hours into that, it ended up being really fun. Um, mm -hmm. but there was definitely a chunk of the beginning of the game where I was like, I would love something. One hook. Right? I would love, I would love, I would just, just say East, just say go East and I'll figure it out yeah. from there. It's, and that, like, I, I, I bring everything back to the to fucking D&D, but like, that's the thing where it's like, even if you run like a sandbox style game, you need hooks. You need to keep mm -hmm. people, yeah. you need to give people a reason to want to do things. Right. Mm -hmm. And what I see, what I find really interesting is something I've only recently realized, uh, when I watch a, lo a lot of our friends. A lot of our streamer friends play Skyrim and have been playing Skyrim forever. They don't care about the story. They don't care about the quest lines. The way they, they play mm -hmm. the game, the way they advertise the game is they care about their character, mm -hmm. right? They yeah. care about the thing they made, the creative outlet they put into that game. And I think that's why that game is still being played right now is because they're has been a bit of a lack of video games where you can express that kind of creativity, right? Every D&D &D game that's come out doesn't have any of that. It's like, yes, you can create a character, but you create a character with a class and a subclass, and ultimately there's a sort of meta. With a game like Skyrim, it's like the mods kind of change that. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes it interesting is because it's, it's fan source, it's fan made. You get like, there are other ways than just the way the developer intended it to play, which I think is really cool and interesting. Homebrew. It's homebrew. Yeah, I that that was one yeah. of the things I noticed. I, I played a Divinity 2 with Clarus, mm -hmm. and we loved it. It's really fun. It's a great game, but it isn't very, um, it isn't very customizable. Like, the characters that you're playing have, like, really defined stories that you're playing through. They have, like, story beats that are put character. on the map. You can create your own character, but then you kind of lose, but then not, there isn't mm -hmm. the... You either create your own character and there isn't mm -hmm. a story beat when you get to the end of a chapter. There's no personality attached to the character. Yeah, you can't like yeah. add that, right? You can't have a relationship with anyone as your own character. Mm -hmm. Or you play as one of the characters and then you have like these, all of these relationships that are also kind of pre-built into the game. And mm -hmm. I, I think that part of that though is the difficulty in video games that we don't have in Dungeons and Dragons where like a video game really is limited. 
by mm-hmm. you can only code so many things into the game, right? Of course. Like there is just a limit. Um, and, you know, that limit keeps getting extended and extended and extended. And, you know, it's, it's amazing how much you can see in video games now. But our brains don't have that, right? Like I've Dungeons and Dragons is really magical because there isn't a there isn't an upper floor of what you can get to. Mm-hmm. It really can be anything. Now, granted, yeah. you kind of the dungeon master kind of has to put some caps on things just so that the world continues to make sense. Like the yeah. it, the logic has to like follow through from beat to beat. But other than logic and like the world being immersive for the players you can do anything and i think that that is the hard comparison between dungeons and dragons and an rpg is like well i want the rpg to do what dungeons and dragon does and i don't know that we will ever be able to code that no like i just I mean, don't think it's possible i i i totally agree and and the part of it is like you take you take you take the wins right mm-hmm. like the early access of Baldur's Gate 3, when I played it recently, was actually really fun and it gave me some of that, right? Um, it was still like, it was like, it wasn't like a railroad, it was like a, a branched out path mm-hmm. of like, yeah, there are five sort of different things you can do. And you do get at the end of the early access because you're essentially, they, what, what they do really well is the major main plot is kind of like, oh, you got this thing in you, you got to take it out of your head, blah, blah, blah. It's not like you have to follow, like, you'll find the main plot as you go and there are different branches to find information about it so you do feel like you're like okay well which one do i want to do and if you choose one you can't just go back and do the other so it's a choice you have to make mm-hmm. which i think is awesome because like you can replay the game in a different way and that's what gives it the replayability with the customization of those characters and yes of course there's going to be a limit right mm-hmm, yeah. but i'm i'm excited i'm excited to have a game that's a little bit more like that like divinity like my biggest thing with divinity is i didn't care for the o- overarching story plot I didn't like the god. The whole, it was a it was a game about god systems, and the god system was so like. The problem is, we, I can compare god systems to other ones that work, and this one was so bland. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, here's the orc god, here's the dwarf god, here's the this god, and I'm like, I'm immediately taken out of this. I want to go fight mm-hmm. because the fighting is really fun. The fighting system is actually quite it's it's boggy. So I only play the lone wolf version where it's like you have two characters instead mm-hmm. of four, because you have like ten actions a turn, and it gets super long. But it is very long. It's too long. And honestly, the much. summons are so broken. Like, Clarissa and I got to the point where, because the, the the enemies in that game scale so fast, and yeah, you get put into do. areas where, like, if you go left, you fight enemies your level, but if you go right, you fight enemies that are, like, 10 levels ahead of you. And so Clarissa and I both ended up, because we played together, so we both have two characters, mm-hmm. and we ended up just... Each one of us had one of our characters have, like, a level 10 summon creature that we could throw on the field to, like, <laughs> deal with things. Because it got to the point yeah. where we were like, our characters are... We're getting one shot every time we start a fight. It was wild. Yeah. And it's that's the thing. It's, like, that's also something, like, I, when I think about it in D&D, it's an action economy, right? Mm-hmm. You got a, a an action, a movement, and a bonus action. Sometimes it's, like, lesser. It doesn't really do a thing. With that game, you have, like, points. And yeah, you can yeah, up yeah. those points with things like haste. And the more that you have those points, the more there is um, things add in multiplications, not in additions, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there are certain combos in meta. And the meta in that game is absolutely broken. So, like, yeah. that's why, like, with Baldur's Gate, what I like about it, but also is kind of a little bit limiting, is the fact they use the D&D system, which is it actually feels decent because it moves faster than actual D&D combat because the narrative, the narration is happening in front of your eyes simultaneously with the action, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and but uh the thing is with that is they have a system that already has been play tested the battle systems has been play tested for six years by wizards of the coast right yeah. you know what i mean so like that is helpful but it also 
the the only thing with combat in that game, I think, is uh, you can't get too creative with it, right? Mm. And a meta then emerges as opposed to like, I want to try something stupid. And that is part of the fun for a lot of people in D&D. But, yeah, I saw the TikTok. Have you seen yeah. the TikTok that's going around about the guy who figured out, or not figured out, but who was going through yeah. um, the summon animal spell? And oh, he's like, God. you don't have to summon animals on the ground, so you can just summon cows in the air and drop them on people. Mm. And he calls it the meat ear. I have, I have not an issue. I just don't connect with the absolutes in D anD. d So when people get really hyped up about builds and stuff, I'm like, yeah, cool. Like yeah, yeah. it's people, people like sell it. Like it's, they just discovered a product and it's really weird to me. Mm-hmm. So the cow thing is like, yeah, if your DM allows it, sure. But you're also being like, okay, so you're summoning cows stacked on top of each other because gravity lets them fall down, not in angles and stuff. So I'm like, there's all, there's a lot of things to it where the DM's just like, sure, let's fucking go do it. I'm, I'm into it. And mm-hmm. everyone on the table has a good time. But if someone like brought that to my table, I'll be like, uh, you saw that on a thing. Yeah, I'm yeah, gonna yeah. play the I'm gonna play the physics of it like and it's not to eliminate the rule of cool it's you just found a thing that you, you like the math of it more than anything mm-hmm. right or like yeah you just murdered a bunch of cows a whole druid circle is gonna fucking hear about it over the years and you're gonna get hunted down well by, like, that's druid. the thing too right like it's you like the, the thing I love about D&D when it's done well is that something like that can only be done if you are playing a character who is morally okay with the implications of that Whereas, you know, the, the fun factor of D&D for me isn't doing something crazy. It's about really, really digging into the character. And I know that's like, a, mm-hmm. that's because I'm a, a, a annoying, obnoxious actor person who's like, I so just want to be, I just want, I, I just want to be Jackson Jones, the fireman. You know what I mean? Uh, yes. And so that I, I, I acknowledge that that's like different, different strokes for different folks. I have no yeah. interest in ever min-maxing a character. I have. Tr- I don't care. Sure. I I really um, want to have some dumb like low skill that I have to role play around because it's really funny to have no charisma. You know what I mean? I do play a game. I, I hope my my mic is not catching my cat just like digging through the litter right now. I didn't. Hear uh, perfect. Perfect. Good. Beautiful. Beautiful dynamic mic. Um, <laughs> but uh, see, like because like you, I'm an actor and I've put a lot of my creative juices into the game of D&D inspired by, and I think, I, I know at one point we're going to talk about Critical Role because that has been the game changer for D&D for the past six years. Oh, 100%. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, it's that and 5e together has been the revival of, of like an almost dead, dead game. And I, I don't think, the, it's not the game that was dead. It was just, it's cultural. I digress, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's a whole cultural thing. We'll get into thing. that. We'll get into that. Movement. Yeah, for sure. It's a whole other thing. Um, but uh, where, what the fuck is it talking about? Uh, character acting and stuff. I play a game that's very, and when people watch my streams, uh, not everyone in the streams are professional actors, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just, it's not about that. It's about um, creating a space where uh, ensemble work, we're all listening to each other, we're all on the same page. So embracing the wins, embracing the failures. And I think um, it's hard to embrace failures in video games mm-hmm. because they don't really give you like a, a fun, like, oh, you failed at that. It's like, oh, you failed at that, try again. It's like, oh, okay. So there's a good way and there's a bad way. Which is which is like something I'm interested with, like games in the future. Like, are failures gonna feel cool? Are failures gonna feel like it unlocked a, a different kind of story for me, or am I just hey, gonna want to like win everything? I think have pulled you know? that off actually. Like, I think Mass oh, yeah? Effect. I think Mass Effect. The mm-hmm. and obviously like they're on the mind because um, the Legendary Edition just came out, which I haven't played yet, and I'm I'm like itching to. I have so many games I need to finish, and then I can start Mass Effect again. But. Um, the, there, there are, there are decisions that you have to make in Mass Effect that lead to consequences. And if you choose wrong, the consequences are 
devastating. Like, the consequences are, like, a genocide of a planet. And you have wow. to... You you can't go back, right? Like, I mean, you can. You can save scum your way back if you want. But the the thing I always loved about Mass Effect was the the consequences of your actions in that game ride through and your character remembers that you failed and you yeah. are like it, it gets brought up again later like a character you'll be in a conversation later in the game where a character will be like hey remember when you caused the end of a civilization and you're like yeah i did do that and i just think like that that aspect wow. of that game is so strong and you know when i was a kid when those games first came out i did everything in my power after the first one for two and three i was like i need to make sure i don't mess up again like i, I would play those games nervous that every choice i was like oh no does, how many people die if i do this so i have one question about that and also why i don't like it when they do that in video games um do you feel like when you make that choice you're like okay i have the weight now i understand or is it the thing comes afterwards and you're like well fuck because there's so many times I make choices in games where it's like, well, I'm not really sure. It's kind of gray. Okay, cool. I take this one. I'm like, well, fuck. You know? No, this is... And um, the agency in this. It's, you just gave me two out two like uh, outcomes or like one where it's like, well, uh, I think like because I think of D&D &D and I don't like I, I don't like judging my, my players' choices. Mm -hmm. I like creating realistic outcomes and consequences. Consequences, not outcomes more than consequences. Not as, oh, you fucked up this, this. Because then I... As a player, me, when I play the game or in the D&D &D game, it's like you start caring less about the choices. You start disconnecting from them because you're like, it doesn't matter what choice I make. Right. Or it's like or I have yeah. to start metaing the choices. And that's I, where it's like I feel like the creativity of it. I'm like, OK, you know, a little bit. I understand what you're saying. I think that there's. I, I think I, um, this is going to be slight spoilers for Resident Evil 7. I hope that's OK. Um, no, I'm not going to play very slight that. spoilers. Um, there's a choice you have to make in that game where. You have a serum, and you have two characters that you can cure. Um, mm -hmm. And the you have one serum. And the moral implication of that choice is laid before you the way that it would be in real life. And you don't know what's going to happen either way. You don't know if any of you are going to survive, no matter what you choose, right? Like, it, mm. it is laid out to you in a realistic way of human... Like, you are a human being and you got to this choice and you have all the, inf we've given you all the information that you, that your character has. Right. Cool. And so that choice feels really strong to me because you have spent a game building up to it and you have been like given information. Mass effect does the same thing, right? Before you make the choice at the end of a mission that goes in two paths, you meet both sides. You talk with both sides. You hear both of their opinions. Cool. And you are given two points of view. And you are given, like, this is this warring faction's idea of how this started and how it got here. You can talk to some of the lieutenants, the commanders, you know, maybe the medic for that team. You can talk to them and kind of hear their story. Or you can mm. ignore their stories and go make the choice without hearing anybody. But there's plenty of lore. There's data pads. You can go, if you really want to know what choice you're making, you can go find out, right? You can really That's dig good, into though. it. Sweet. And so what's really fascinating is that there isn't a right choice when you get to the choice because it's mm -hmm. war. You're talking about war between yeah. two countries. There isn't a right choice. Neither, neither country is totally in the right you know, or, or, or planet or whatever race or what, whatever it is mm -hmm. in the game. And that's what I love. I love when they present you with, hey, here are two bad options. You've talked to people. You've you formed relationships with the NPCs. Yeah. Who, do you, who did you end up liking more? Because you have to kill everybody else. But who did you like more? And I, I think that that's interesting because it's harder. It's a harder choice to make. But it also mm -hmm. is, it's more real. Like, that's the, those are the kind of choices that humans make in real life. 
It yeah, is very absolutely. rare in real life yeah. to be presented with, here's a really good choice and here's a really bad choice. Which one are you going to yeah. do? So, yeah, I, th I think the thing for me was like, it was that lack of information. Mm -hmm, of like, yeah. so, and what you described is like, that, that I got to play that game because that sounds the way that like, I, I, I try to build story is through the characters you interact with in the game and through mm -hmm. um, like uh, the world around you, the political system around you, like you see just the way it's structured and stuff, the political system, um, what are the problems, the economic, uh, like, you know, where's the power, where's the money and stuff like that. And, and then talking to these people. So th that's awesome that you have the chance to go and explore that and take the time to make that choice. Oh yeah, I think um, Mass Effect is yeah. the best sci-fi RPG. Like it is the best I've been, I've been RPG told, in yeah. space. Um, yeah. Just because it really cares about that. Like, the conversations that you have with people are the best part of the game. And the combat's great. Look, there's a lot of... Um, the combat's amazing. The story's amazing. But the the level of detail in the conversations you can have with, like, an NPC on the Citadel and the implications it has for the decisions that you make later. Like, the information you can mm -hmm. learn from a janitor in Mass Effect is so fascinating. And I think that it's something that Witcher 3 brought along, right? Like, you, yeah. you can kind of skip all the conversations with the innkeepers and all the people you can talk to. But if you do spend the time to talk to the innkeepers and you talk yeah. to the Gwent Where players, the lore is. It's, it is such a fascinating... And I honestly, the biggest thing for me is like, how did the people who make this game have the time <laughs> to, to write Here's, all this stuff? Right? Here's I can imagine being the voice like, actor being like, wait, I'm, why am I talking about this? I'm an innkeeper, who cares? Yeah, yeah, seriously. Just, oh, you're, you're doing these sides and stuff. Oh, okay, sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's seven um, different branching paths this innkeeper story can go, and you're like, wow, okay, yeah, 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 cool, cool, cool. And that's really that's really where you build the, like, um, the feeling of, like, how people are, is mm -hmm. you don't have, you don't have the lords talk to the characters. You have the people who live the life in those mm -hmm. zones. Or you see, a little, like, you, you take a quest from a lord, you know, who seems all cool and stuff. And one of the quest lines I love in The Witcher, it's really simple, it's near the beginning, um, is you basically take a quest to kill a griffin. Uh, you see an interaction between one of the Nilfgaardian-like um, captains or whatever, mm -hmm. and um, a farmer. And he's like, okay, I'll give you more time, blah, 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 blah. You do the quest, you come back, and you see him be like, uh, your, your grain is rotten, what the fuck, dude? And then he gets like 15 lashes. And you're like, wow, okay. So quickly, as as the character, you're like, okay, this doesn't seem so bad. And the whole the whole uh, system with the Nilfgaardians there is kind of gray. Mm -hmm. Like you can sort of be like, I'm okay with you guys, or you can side with the Redanians. Like I, there's more. I'm not mm -hmm. gonna go into the yeah. the, the detail choices and the spoilers for that there. But the fact that you see those scenes, those scenes are what mark you and and give you that subconscious idea of like, well, this is what I'm gonna make with my choices later on. Like fuck these people, or like you know, like it's yeah. tough because you know these people suck too so it's like where where do my morals lie and i like i like content that tests makes you think about like well where do my morals lie what do i think it like coming from someone who has like you know we all have internalized capitalism as the system as the socio-economic uh, economic system that we grew up in right 100%. so it's like oh, when you play these 100%. games right and um it makes me think of another story there's a there's a twitter thing about like uh not eating on on stream and my immediate thought I don't know if you saw that. Uh, some no. people were like outraged by it. Essentially, it was a, a person who I don't care if they see this. Like I don't care if you see this. You were you were wrong, and you have so anyways. Um, but they said like, oh, you shouldn't be eating on stream, and they compared it to uh, you wouldn't eat during a business meeting. And I'm like, the fact that you take something as Twitch streaming, and you you feel the need to to validate yourself, to validate your choice of job and career, compare it to a business meeting, uh, like a corporate type environment, shows yeah. how you've internalized capitalism to the point where you need to justify this like patriarchal 
maybe not the choice of that word, but this capitalist idea of like, well, business needs to be something where you make sacrifices and you put on a persona that is one of power and you don't show yourself eating. It's like, uh, what? Yeah, I mean, I, I, have a, I have a few thoughts about that. The first being um, the, the thing that makes live streamers successful is that it is a personal experience for the viewer. Mm. You are, you are, it is a window into the life of somebody else. And that is interesting. Um, mm -hmm. If it's an interesting person. That's what people want. Yeah. The window into their life, like th to say like this is business is bizarre because I'm not getting paid. I'm not actually getting paid for this, right? Like I get yep. paid because people want to it give me money, but they're not giving me money in like a transaction. They're giving I'm me money in a, in a like tip system, which is very different. That would be like telling a busker not to like, to like leave where he's busking to go eat somewhere else and then come back and busk. Like you can't, you can play the guitar in one place and you have to eat on a different bench because every, that's your business Every job spot. tries to, and <laughs> get into this, but every job tries to internalize that, that pyramid style system of power, right? Like there's so many people and we realized so many things with the pandemic. Why are people going into an office when they can equally do their job at home? Right? Because, because Ooh, this one we want, want that, that we won't agree on. Okay, sure. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, 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 the, I am a firm believer, and I think that this might be, this might be just like the way I was raised. I am a firm sure. believer in pyramids of power in terms of productivity, right? Like you have to have, I've worked in environments where it's like, we're all equal, we're all have a say, and we're just going to, we're going to work together. And it, it never works. You have to have a chain of command and you have to sure. have, you have to have a period of delegation, right? And I'm not saying like it has to, I'm not saying the wealth needs to be concentrated at the top, which is the problem I think in our society is that the money always goes up. But you ha when you are working on a project with a large group of people or more than three people, you have to have you have to have a chain of command. It, it I don't doesn't disagree work with any other that way. for sure. No, because it gets chaotic. It's kind of like why the internet is a shit show of, of, of communication because everybody can just say whatever they want, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What I meant, uh, it's more like uh, the person who has the chain of command uh, above them, mm -hmm. uh, they're asked to, let's say, go into an office space to do the same amount of work they do if it's like a computer style job if they can get the same product done at home, but they're asked to take the time to travel, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, to yeah. spend that time in the office, um, and like the pro and that adds to it also adds to like part of like the reason like these jobs a lot of jobs are underpaid um mm -hmm. they don't come with a lot of benefits uh the cost of living is going up are politically we're just going into a, sh a shit show like in terms of like the socioeconomic divide between the rich and the poor uh, mm -hmm. or like the upper classes and lower classes but essentially it's like well if you can make their lifestyle a bit better they might be more productive you can, you might be eventually able to ask a bit more from them because they'll be sure it's a bit of an exchange right if, if let's say I can get the same amount of work done at the same quality without the one hour and a half transit that is exhausting mm -hmm. really, oh, yeah, right? 100%, yeah. and the preparation needed for that um, and, and like the way you have to organize uh, getting meals together and stuff for that, um, g give it to them. And then maybe you'll see a better like or then then maybe start asking a tad bit more and productivity will increase only for those jobs that that's possible, right? You don't need to mac yeah. micromanage someone if they are giving the position doing doing the product properly. Right. I think that this conversation, though, and I, this is a conversation that has sprung up recently um, yeah. within a lot of circles, right? Especially with the U.S. having the worker shortage that they're having um, because mm. people don't want to go back to work, right? Um, is I, I think that this is a very... We, we did not know that this was possible before the pandemic. 
So I don't think that this is like, we've known that this work from home thing could work for years and we just weren't implementing it. I think that companies, I think that no one knew that it could work because no one was willing to test it, right? No one was willing to test work from home on this kind of scale. And now that we've done it and we've seen that for the most part, it does work for a lot of people. For a lot of people, it also doesn't, right? And so there are a lot of people who who don't want to work from home because the idea mm. of their home being their place of work and not being able to yeah. divorce the two isn't great. And I think there's a lot of people who are like, oh, I love working from home, right? Mm-hmm. But they never stop working. Like they don't, the, the work yeah. from home mentality has created this problem, I think, within um, especially our generation of yeah. people who, you know, our bedroom is a workspace in our apartment. And our living room is a workspace. Wow. And those are our two rooms. <laughs> we have two rooms. Same. Yeah, and yeah. we work in both of them. So for us, it's like, well, when do we stop working? You know what I mean? Like, no, I, you're no, you're totally right on that. Especially like us who are like, we're trying to create our own thing. Mm-hmm. So it's like, we always have this thing. And this is something that we're like, uh, after my like birthday stream last week, I was like, I, I, I was like, I'm gonna take two days off. And then I took the two days off. Like, no, 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 this needs to be a week. Because I, I noticed mm-hmm. that like the way my brain works is like, oh, well, those, those 10 things you could do. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and like I work a little differently. I I totally have ADHD. So like um I have like a hyper focus hyper focus periods where like I can work like that, right? Which as an artist sometimes can be great and can be not great. Mm-hmm. And I have moments where like my executive dysfunction kicks in and I'm like I can't do anything. So like working from home can be good for me because I don't have to go to a space. And this is something I, I realized when I was working as a server for a long time. And I was good. I was a really good server. I made really good money doing it. But like yeah. the days that my executive dysfunction would kick in, I would get home and beyond just exhausted, burnt out after like even just a couple shifts mm-hmm. because I don't have that control. And like that's I, a lot of people might feel and think like that. And it's just the way that our, our our workforce had been structured since, I guess, post-World War II with the whole 9-to-5 office job thing. And that's no longer viable um, because the means of production are more and more being taken away from the workers and more and more like a wealth is being hoarded hoarded by certain groups. Mm-hmm. And the way the way that a lot of our if you want, we could go back should, to the topic we should get of video games. And, and, Honestly, yeah. we should get back to video yeah, games. No but I, the, before I want, but I just want to say one last thing before we get into that is yeah, sure, the amount sure. of money I made as a waiter. Yeah, like the amount of money I made as a waiter versus any other job I've ever had is so stupid. Like I would yeah. have, I would have people, and uh, well, and I was a waiter in like Midtown New York, right? So like I was a waiter in mm-hmm. you know ar- arguably the one of the more expensive food places in the world, and the people who would come in and or and be like. I know you waiters, you, you struggling waiters are like, and people be like, you struggling actors. I mean, like, you're probably having a really hard time. And I was making like $75,000 a year serving wow. tables. But because wow. like, but, and and, and <laughs> when I would have conversations with people who had normal jobs about it, they'd be like, what? How are you making that much money? And I'm like, oh, I work 62 hours a week. Yeah. <laughs> like I am, I am on my feet for 12 hours a day, at least three times a week. Mm-hmm. And I don't stop. Like, I start my shift. I drink coffee and alcohol until my shift is over. And then I go home. <laughs> Me too. I get oh, hammered. And then I wake up and I drink coffee until my hangover's gone. And I start serving tables again. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's the, I'm killing myself, but I'm making money. The coping mechanisms that oh, came so out bad. of it. Like, and but you're making like... so much money. Like, I would make $450 a brunch, right? On the, on a weekend. Jesus. So I would, I would get, I would get into the restaurant at like 9am Saturday and Sunday because I knew I was going to make a thousand dollars that weekend. If I didn't Mm -hmm. sit down for nine hours 
and I, you know, ran holes through my shoes. And yep. it, it's just, it's such a weird, like, when I look back on it now, I'm like, the money was so amazing, but I, I, I'm i 29 now. Like, I'm, I'm only 29. I don't think I could do it again. I don't think I could go back to the schedule that I was on. Because I just, I, am I don't think my body could take it. I'm also 29, and I don't want to do that. Yeah, I could I do <laughs> two two days a week, maybe. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like just for just for like extra like cash and change and stuff. I I'll do the I'll do the money. changeover shift yeah. where you do like the end of lunch and the beginning of dinner and then you sure. get out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, um, but like, I worked I worked mostly in Italian fine dining in like Yorkville mm -hmm. and stuff. Yeah, and like same. money was good, but it's like, fuck, man, it drain it drains at you. Oh, it yeah. drains at you because um, it's physical and, it's like, and mental exercise at the same time. Yeah, your brain has to. You have to be so alert because you are handling mm -hmm. you know hundreds of orders and you and allergies and all the things and you also don't stop moving like you are no. literally like on an elliptical it's like trying to do math on an elliptical i, re I yeah i didn't yeah. take breaks you know yeah. like because you take a break and then you and your energy levels don't get back up or you take a break and someone else yeah. takes your table and they mess it up and so you yeah. have like an anxiety your your manager's like you can take a break if you want and you're like I, I can't there's a peanut allergy there and if that kid dies while i'm on a break that's on me and then you're like i yep. yeah it's, oh, it's awful it's fucked up. It's all right fucked um awful. critical role Let's talk about Critical the modern role. resurgence of D&D because this has been this has been the most amazing thing in my adult life because I, I, I had never played 5e before I played with you. Mm -hmm. um, but I remember back in the day playing Dungeons and Dragons 3 with my friends in high school yep. and loving it and loving it so much. And then I remember 4 came out and it felt like 4 kind of like swept the leg a little bit on the community. It it did. Um, <clears throat> so I think I think essentially... Um, at three three point five, the sales started dropping like like crazy, a decent amount. I don't mm -hmm. know, like I don't, I, I'm a lot of the things I'm gonna say, <clears> people, like <throat> I think, yeah. I don't know the facts on these things. I don't like whatever. Um, but uh, I also know that four E came around the time that MMORPGs came out, right? And the system right, of four E yeah, was yeah. designed with the striker, tank, healer, controller type environment to treat like tabletop. And this is where this is this is where this is a perfect topic for this uh, this podcast today. Mm -hmm is it, it took it finally took influence from video games in the way the system worked. But the problem is is mechanically the way the combat worked was it was bogged down. There was a lot of stuff. Everything everything had a mechanical equal to it. There was a role already written down and associated to it. So that became where the meta and the more there are math the more there is math and there is a rule for things, the more people find the meta. Mm -hmm. Right? You play Pokemon you've seen some of the metas and how strange they are of like oh, yeah. certain teams and switching and it does and it and sometimes it doesn't feel like the game that you like playing and that's why a lot of people like even you said earlier like i don't really want to like know the meta yeah often don't fucking learn the meta because yeah, yeah. it might kill the game for you it some destroyed uh, diablo know. 3 yeah. diablo 3 yep. i stopped playing diablo 3 when i realized that every season i just had to build the meta of that season in order to run the heavy dungeons and i get that people enjoy that i'm not like saying that that's a inherently bad experience. I'm just saying that wasn't mm -hmm. for me. And so once I got to the point where I was like, oh, so I have to go get these pieces of armor and this weapon, and then I will be able to play the end game. And I have to play it by pressing four three three four four three three four four three four four three three. Cool, no, I'm good, I'm good. And that then, then I put it away. That was it. There's no me. longer creativity in it, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And see, that's the thing. There's no longer creativity in those things. And I think that with 4E, and I played 4E. 4E so basically, I played as a kid. Uh, I played like um, the tail end of 2 and 3 when I was a kid. So I don't remember the rules at all. And I know that Pathfinder emerged after, I think around or after 4th edition as a like, 4E sucks. 
Pathfinder was based on three third edition, mm -hmm. which yep. has a lot of baked in rules, right? It, it's it's more complex than five E. It's not complex, but it's more complex than five E. And I think um, the thing is with uh, combat took forever in fourth edition, from what I remember, it took forever, especially with a large group. Um, there were some cool aspects about it, like you can still role play on these things, like you can still mm -hmm. do the story stuff on these things. But I think what made four E so uh, good and accessible was a I can have someone sit down at a table in front of me and run 4E and they never had to read a book. You know, if they play like a third level rogue, I can explain to you what your class, the things you can do with your class in five minutes, the rest, just let your creativity go. I rarely explain the rules to people when I have them sit down. I make characters with them and then go like, kind of like, hey, this is a thing you might want because you will see you'll be let's say you're a rogue and you don't have high dexterity you might be like oh fuck i can't really do anything that my class allows me to but i don't tell people what to do how to build their character and mm -hmm. stuff and then i give them leeways to be like all right now that you've played it a bit now that you've experienced a bit go back and change your character up because play it the way that you want to play it and mm -hmm. i think that's what made 5e so fun it's super fucking accessible for people a and b critical role came out as a DD show and mm -hmm. You know, even today, they're like, they started averaging a lot of views from the beginning. And today, they average like 75,000 views every night they're on. Yeah. You know? Like, and they're, they're, they're and, on, they're at like 300 episodes now? Uh, today, tonight is their campaign finale of their second campaign. That's 141 episodes just for this campaign. Yeah. Uh, excluding any one shots or side things they've done. Their previous campaign was 115 episodes. Okay. So they're not quite at 300 yet. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're probably at 300 with like bonus episodes or whatever. They've got like about 10 yeah. to 21 shots or whatever. Yeah. But it's um, crazy, right? So so in the rise of like modern, in, in the rise of this like modern D&D space, do you think that this is, and I, I've had this thought a lot, um, especially with modern games and uh, a lot of modern games have failed, I think, um, at what they've tried to do. I think there's a lot of really fun modern games, uh, video games mm -hmm. I'm talking about. Um, but I think that yeah. a lot of modern games have, have failed and I think that the reason for that is that we are the video gaming in a way is almost coming up against the limits of the platform mm -hmm. and people, the, the video games I feel like have in a way been like a reverse uh, D and D brought people to RPG video gaming. I think a lot in the early mm -hmm. days of RPG gaming, people were like, Oh, I can see this thing I've th had in my brain we've gotten to like the uncanny valley point with graphics where like it is yeah. so close to real, but it isn't quite um, that people are like looping back around to D and D because yep. the, we're hitting the limits of video games and we're going like, well, I want to go further than this and I can. I also think, mm -hmm. I, I think the pandemic did a lot for Dungeons and Dragons because I think that like people were looking for something to do with other people. I think it's why, you know, Fall Guys blew up. It's why, um, among us has done so uh, crazy numbers it's why phasmophobia did really well like mm -hmm. people have been looking for things to do with other people and dungeons and dragons you know everybody i know who's never played dungeons and dragons before has a weekly game now <laughs> like everyone is in a weekly dungeons and dragons game and i think that part of that is like the pandemic has really given people a the time because you know what are you doing you can't go to the mall um you can't like go out to drinks no one's going to the bar every night um mm -hmm. and be the like desire for human connection <laughs> It, absolutely. I think also like part of the pandemic forced people to be like, well, if I want to connect with people, I need some sort of a webcam and microphone, whether it just be the one on my laptop or my mm -hmm. phone or whatever, yeah. you know? And I remember, um, do you remember at the beginning of the pandemic when you couldn't buy a webcam? 
when like the webcam was the thing i remember i, I drove up to a shopper's drug mart because i needed a prescription and in a big sign in the window it was like really? we do not have toilet paper we do not have webcams and we do not have lysol spray and i was like yeah what <laughs> i didn't realize that about webcams i only bought my first like webcam webcam uh a few like a month or two ago my logitech brio i used my phone before that oh that's funny yeah because when you're starting streaming, you're like, well, what's my budget? What do I absolutely need to get going? I could use mm -hmm. my phone for now. Okay, we'll do that. And then eventually I was like, I'm going to buy this webcam. And I mm -hmm. just bought it. You know, I literally went to a Canadian computer store. I was like, I don't want to get it ordered. I don't want to wait like 10 yeah, days. You know, it's the same price. So I just walked there. Amazon does not need more of my money. Exactly. Yeah, fucking yeah. exactly. Um, but it's, and it's that interesting thing where like, I would have never gained success as a dungeon master i would have never considered which is something that i'm starting this summer i just need to get all there's a lot of ducks to get in order professional dming i'm going to start charging people to run D, &D games for them mm -hmm. in the same way that you commission like an artist or something right um and i would yeah. have never developed um knowledge of a virtual tabletop um uh, of like ways to like put all this stuff online in a way that's like visual. I had to adapt the medium completely. And that's where like a lot of people, it's either like their D&D groups died out because they're like, oh, I don't know how to adapt to the medium or they haven't yeah. done that. Or some people it's like, like you said, schedules opened up. The biggest killer of a D&D campaign prior to the pandemic was people not being able to meet up and play, mm -hmm. you know? It took me a year of DMing before I managed to organize a, a weekly group. A week, And I told them like, guys, this is gonna be weekly. You know, if there's a shift, let me know. But like, if let's say you're like, oh, I can't do this day anymore and we can't switch the day, like we'll we'll find, we'll write you out, we'll write you back in when you can, whatever. Yeah. Um, And with that, like I, 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 I played, I spent so much time creatively on this game in the past year. I've learned so much from my mistakes. Man, I made so many mistakes as a, I feel like I've gotten 10 years of DM experience in the past year because I've hyper-focused on it. Mm -hmm. Um, And what is really cool for me is like, I have an audience that's not just in my city. Of this thing yeah you know one of my home players is in georgia mm -hmm. now because there was an opening in my home game and i was like hey do you want to play and i'm like okay well i guess we can't if we want to put this in person we'll put them on a tv or something we'll figure it out if we can figure it out playing online we can figure that out but the fact is is like there's a my my it's like that's why i have a hard time thinking about wanting to do theater after this or at least theater will be like on the side if something cool pops up you know, <laughs> you know what I mean, though. Yeah, I I just signed with a new agency, um, because I, I just moved okay, to Canada. Awesome. So I signed with yep. an agent in Canada uh, this week, uh, which I'm very excited about. I'm very excited. Uh, and she was like, "So what are you looking to do?" And I was like, "I have no interest in doing theater unless it's like Broadway level." And granted, that's because I've, I I'm very fortunate. I've had an incredible career. I've done it. You mm. know what I mean? Like if it's like a regional show, I've done it. Yeah. I'm, I'm good. I I am down to do TV and film. I'm down to do I'm down to do things that are in Toronto. <laughs> But like yeah. that, like vagabond, like traveling, and and part of it's I'm married now, so like it's harder. I, I don't want to leave my wife for nine weeks anymore. It's just not something I'm interested in. No, for but sure. But like, yeah, like theater, theater to me, I'm like, I'm I'm so good, man. Like I don't need to, I don't need to ever like be in a one bedroom doing Oklahoma in some like small town ever again. And I think that's the thing with like what's tough about theater is like. Um, it rarely, as as a form of career and medium, it rarely like uh, an opportunity. It doesn't always go like an opportunity leads to this, to this, to this. There's not always an incline, right? So oh, like no. my my first job out of school, I toured Canada. It was it was for a not great company, but I still toured Canada mm -hmm. doing a musical. 
right? I, I got to see all Canada. It paid really well. And then after that, I did a show in the city that paid peanuts. It paid an honorarium. And I was like, okay, okay, you know what? That's fine. <laughs> what I'm is, doing this now. What are these words that we put up with as actors? Like an it's, honorarium it's bullshit, is, is insane. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's 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 you're putting up shows with free fucking labor. Yeah, that's yeah. what you're doing. And and the, the same company had the, they're they're closed now, so it doesn't matter. They 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 then called themselves like I'm gonna say this because it doesn't matter. They said at, at one point, well, the reasoning and people always do this, especially people where it's like if they need to pay people less, they'll find a they'll find a reason for themselves to not feel bad about it. Mm -hmm. But they they called it a training program. I'm trained. I went to school. Yeah, yeah. right. You I'm, did I'm not sorry, offer I me have any a training. College degree. I'm yeah. I'm a professional. Yeah. The only reason your shows are successful is because you get actors who are talented and mm -hmm. skilled to do them. You're not, not a teaching lot of other cities do uh, that. To training programs, no. training programs that are like, we are going to have a director direct you in a show. I'm like, that's not training. That's that's the job. That is that is the job. That is the job. You know? <laughs> and like, yeah, I don't know, man. It's it's and that's why I'm like, well, after the pandemic, it, theater became even harder. So mm -hmm. I want like I want the theater industry as it is today to die and it emerge with new people creating new companies and mm -hmm. their own. Basically, the people who are my peers to rise it back up. You know what I mean? Well, not, not like, this whole like Mervish, like and then nothing paying in between. Yeah, it's tough. You know, I'm I'm, know I'm fully I'm fully on board with the theater industry dying um, and coming back with um uh equitable pay um yep. diversity inclusion i like the, mm -hmm. the theater industry that i experienced and this is a whole different topic and probably not for this podcast but the theater industry that i experienced in my 22 years in it so far um yep. since i was a child um is an incredibly bad place to be as a human being um yep. and yeah i'll leave it at that for now man. um so yeah sure so, um, yeah, I have a feeling one day I might, one day I might have a longer us. conversation about that online, but, um, Absolutely. I'm, I'm very yeah. happy to watch, uh, certain companies not exist anymore. Um, because boy, did they exploit people, especially people. Of yeah. Color. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so on let's, let's circle back. So now that, now the critical role has made D and D huge, um, mm -hmm. and you're doing like, you're doing D and D on Twitch. What do you yeah. feel like is the um, what do you feel like is the biggest barrier to D and D on a platform like Twitch, and what do you think is the biggest benefit? So, the, I think the main thing is uh, there are monopolies on certain things like Critical Role, and a lot of people complain about the the monopoly that Critical Role has on uh, people watching a full on campaign. But the truth is, is like it's hard to watch a full on campaign. Yeah. It's long, and I I've watched most of Critical. I skipped a part of the the beginning of Critical Campaign One. How the Critical World Campaign One. And you uh, call well, yourself a fan. You call yourself a dungeon master. How dare I, you? I'm not a purist, man. I don't care. <laughs> if I'm not connecting to it, I'm gone. No, I um, no, I feel and no. That, and that's what I expect my audience to thing, be, right? This is a thing that bugs me so much that we don't that that we don't talk about. And I say this to people all the time in my stream when they're like. Uh, you know, I don't, I, I don't watch you play this game because I don't love the game. I'm like, if you are not entertained by my stream, do not show up. If yeah, I am, sure. if I am not doing it for you, don't show up out of obligation. You are not obligated yeah. to be here. I am an entertainer. If I am not entertaining you, don't come. Like, I want you to be here because I'm entertaining and I want to entertain you. I love entertaining people. I've dedicated my whole life to entertaining mm -hmm. people, right? I have a degree. I have certificates. I have literally paid blood, sweat, and tears to entertain people. If I'm not... Go find someone who is. 
And like, yeah. don't this like this like, oh, no, I have to because I like the people is such a weird, like gross mindset in modern, especially Twitter culture where they're like, well, no, I have yeah. to watch all the episodes because or like I have to like the sequel because I like the first one. And I'm like, no, you don't. No, you you can you I, you can absolutely hate one thing because you like one, even though you like one thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it's uh, Twitch. Twitch to me isn't just a content thing. It's it's a it's a it's a social hub. Uh, Twitch is kind of like the theater community, except it's easier to reach people and talk to people and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, I do think like I understand like the lurking thing to me is muy bueno. Like, you don't have to like if you're like, oh, cool, they're playing this game. I'll leave them up because it helps their channel grow and stuff. And they do care about the streamer. Oh, I'm we're not just you. the games we play. To me, games are fucking secondary to the content, right? It's about the person and how what they do with the game. The game is a tool, you know. The game is the song they sing. The the person mm -hmm. is how they sing it, right? Sure, because... I, I I do think that there are definitely times though where like there are certain streamers that I enjoy when they play certain games, and then That's when fair. they and, and and like I I I I do the same thing, and I do it. Like I don't apologize for it. I just do it. I'm like, look, there there are certain streamers that I'm like, okay, they're in the middle of this run, this challenge run thing. Um, they're, especially speedrunners. There are speedrunners who are like, when they're doing speedruns, fascinating. Love to watch them. Yeah. And then when they're not doing speedruns, they don't have enough personality to make other things interesting because what they're good at is speedrunning. And like, you know what I, I mean? I won't like, watch it. Yeah. Sorry, I, I won't watch a uh, speedrunner on Twitch. I'll watch them on YouTube if I want to. But that, see, that's oh, why to see, me but, Twitch is But yeah. No, no, no. But Matt, you got to be there when it happens. The hype, man. The, the the things I've gotten to see on Twitch because I was there in the moment, right? It's like you're watching a sport with people. Yeah. Right? Well, and, that, and you're okay, watching yeah, someone, yeah, yeah, you're yeah, watching yeah. someone like for that person, yeah. it is that person's Super Bowl, right? Like you are watching that person's mm -hmm. individual Super Bowl. And the moment where six hours into them trying to do this one 11 second thing, in 10 seconds the, yeah. the moment getting to see their face when that happens is magic it's magic You're seeing them play every the solo time. live not not they tried it three times and then put the the, the product on yeah yeah and then the, the youtube version yeah. is always cool because you're like oh yeah they did that you know what i mean but yeah, every time sure. i watch youtube version i'm like oh wow that was really cool i can't believe a human being pulled that off mm -hmm. but when i'm there live and i've watched them fail it 50 times and then get it on the 65th and i'm like yeah. there they get hype i get hype clarus comes in from the other room is like what are what's happening like and yep. I'm like, babe, you don't understand. This dude just did this thing in he's 10 forced, seconds baby. that used to take 10.2 seconds. And he's losing yep. his mind. They're crying uh, and you're crying and you're like, I love, I, and maybe it's the pandemic, but I live for those moments now. I no, live they're, for they're far and they're, far and few, uh, they're few and far between, right? Um, um, when, you say, when you say critical role has a monopoly, well, I don't understand what that means, right? Because so, in my mind, you, a show can't have a monopoly on an audience. Because it's not, it's not like you 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 can't you can be successful and people want to watch you yeah. and be interested in you but you can't like it's not like television back in the day where there are three channels like television was a monopoly because you had three options yeah critical role literally can't be a monopoly because there are no one there is there are a bil literally a billion options you can yeah. go watch anything with your time so i agree with you people feel like it's a monopoly and people are like well there's and so people who put their their streams online and stuff and that's why like if you if you start a campaign from the beginning and you don't have an audience already imagine when you start building an, a bit of an audience you're you're 20 episodes in rarely will people have the time to go watch all of your stuff people do that for critical role sometimes because it's a phenomenon 
it's they watch it they can connect with other people about it especially on the I, internet see, right? i disagree with that i don't think it's because it's a phenomenon i don't think that new audience members are coming in and being like i have to get swept up in this i think that i, I see and this is and this is i think um a bit of a non-entertainment mindset about mm. an entertainment thing you are creating an critical role is an excellent product it is a it fantastic. Is. I watch all of it. I love right. it. It's my favorite thing. Right. To say that to say that it's a to say that it is successful because of anything other than the fact that it is one of the best things at being what it is to me is 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 like saying that Grey's Anatomy is so successful yeah. because of something other than the fact that people love those characters and love them. Right. It, it, you just. It's not the same thing. A monopoly is literally when someone controls a market. Critical Role literally cannot control a market because they don't control distribution. They don't control anything. Yep. There is no, there, there's no version of the word monopoly in my brain that possibly applies to the situation. I don't think it's monopoly. I don't I think understand. People think that way, and it's, it's it, the thing is, and, and and you you said it, and I didn't want to say it. It's because people don't realize it's probably not as good. They're the most talented voice actors. They're, <laughs> they're all famous. Voices. Like they're literally yeah. all famous people whose names I know mm -hmm. because I've yeah. played their voices in like yeah. <laughs> to be like, well, Critical Role has so many viewers and my podcast that I do with my three friends from work. I'm like, look, dude, I'm so sorry, but nobody cares about your friends from work. Right. People have people have intimate relationships with those voices. Video game. I And, and this is why mm -hmm. I do this podcast, right? Video games are intimate relationships with pixelated characters. I have a absurd, absurd, deep emotional attachment to John 117 from Master Chief, uh, Master Chief from Halo. Like I, when I hear that voice, when I see the mm -hmm. armor, I have there, that is like a, that is like a family member to me because there was yep. a long period of my childhood where that was my favorite thing. You know what I mean? And I got to be him. It's so different than like, I love Aquaman. I love Aquaman so much. Uh, yeah. Aquaman is my favorite superhero. I have more Aquaman crap in this apartment than any human being mm -hmm. should own. But I don't have the same relationship with Aquaman because I didn't get to be him. I didn't embody him. Mm -hmm. And so video game characters. And so because of that, that voice and therefore that voice actor are a relationship yeah. that I have. Critical Role literally took, hey, here are the people who voiced your childhood. Come watch your childhood play a game. And that is oh. a magic, magic combination. Yeah. yeah. I think and on that is a phenomenon in, in Critical Role as content and in Critical Role at, that is ex expanded to everyone's tables is this thing called the Matt Mercer effect, mm -hmm. where uh, new players who watch Critical Role who are getting to the game expect uh, it's it's... Anything that's an effect isn't an actual fucking thing. It's just how pe how each individual person reacts to it, and then they share their ex experiences, right? So the Matt Mercer effects, people watch Critical Role and expect their dungeon masters to be Matt Mercer, to have 20 years of experience, to have built an entire yeah. world down to the fucking T, or if not down to the T, the more I learn about DMing, the more it's like, you don't need to have everything down to the T. You just have to have the feeling of it. If anything, you don't have to write everything down. You just have to like know and like, you, had, you either like, have to write it all. You either yeah. have to write every single thing, or be able to improvise and remember what you mm -hmm. improvised last week. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And and that's the thing. It's like um, he he puts in an insane amount of work because he has an audience, right? And that's part of why I don't do weekly thing. And I'm like, I'm he gets so much paid. fucking work. And no, yeah. but here's the thing. He and it also paid. is because it pays his bills. This is the, and this is a thing. Matt Mercer, it's his job. 
It is his yeah. literal job to do that. Yeah. It isn't your friend. It isn't your friend's job to do that. It isn't most DMs on oh. Twitch's job to do that. They don't have the time of day. Matt Mercer could spend twenty hours a day for a week mm-hmm. coming up with his world, and people would go, "Well, yeah, that's his job." And he yeah. could he would go to bed at night being like, "I worked really hard today." Another and he person for twenty years to do it. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Another person for twenty years would you know? spend all that time putting that into their their campaign and they would get to the campaign and be like guys i did so much for this and i i get the joy of like having a great campaign out of it but like yeah i also have a job and i also have to pay my bills and i also mm-hmm. have to spend time with my family. you know what i mean like there's just yeah i i understand that that is complicated but but it, it's weird to me because it's the same as like it, it's the same as when i see actors who are like well this one person blew up really quick so that means i can and it's like well no that person probably it's not yeah. That person probably auditioned for like 15 years and like you know about them all of a sudden because they finally got their shot, but they've probably been working for two decades. People don't realize how many elements of either like that or like the chaos or like it's all mm-hmm. just like it's like when you as, as streamers coming up, if we try to compare too much to other streamers or like try to like analyze mm-hmm. how to do it, it's fucking you're just going to hurt your head because it's all chaos, right? A hundred percent. It's all chaos. And like some people in the whole Matt Mercer effect is I take it as a positive thing because I love the way he runs his game mm-hmm. and I aspire as an actor to be not to be like him my own version of it but like I think taking big DMs like that take away from them because you're yeah. finally seeing something that like works and that's the things people don't realize with like D&D content why do you think it's so popular what do you think Dimension 20 is another one Brennan Lee Mulligan mm-hmm. uh, insane improviser so funny so we're really big fans of uh, Dungeons words. and Daddies I've heard of that. I, I want to like not, listen to that it's one. It's not too. good D D. Yeah, but it is okay. the best D D podcast. Um, sure. It, it's it's the most. Other people will, will be like, well, actually, this or I'm, that or this. Uh, well, or that, well, right? actually, is actually a character in it. Um, well, actually, is very ah. funny. Um, no, That's it's funny. it's just a comedy podcast. Um, cool. Uh, that uses D D as a very loose framework for what they do. Um, mm-hmm. but it is it is by far the most entertaining thing I've ever listened to. It's the. Have it's, you watched it, Dimension Twenty? I have not yet. No, no, no. But I'm telling there, you right now, yeah. Dungeons and Daddies is mostly because of Beth May. She's an improviser yeah. on it who plays. It. She she is maybe the funniest human I've ever heard. Ever like she? I I just I like we mostly listen to it when we drive, and it's honestly mm-hmm. dangerous. And we should stop listening to it while no. I'm behind the wheel of a car because I literally like it is so funny. It's not good D&D. Like, they, they openly make fun they of the fact that they don't know what they're they doing. Yeah. The, the DM That's knows what good. he's doing, but nobody else knows how to play. But, God, it's good. I this is, they're, the not most, a, they're not as fun, yeah. but um, <laughs> listen to Dungeons & The general and rule about D&D is, is the, most, the only important thing in D&D is that you and the people at your table, the people at that table are like, yep, this is, this is the thing we want to do. Yeah. We're, we're, all, we're all cool. We've all consented to everything that's going on here. This is super dope. Right. Mm-hmm. And and to make I think to make a successful D&D anything, communication is the most important thing. It's a relationship because you're doing so many like subconscious things in role playing that you're like you you don't always know, like how the way you're coming across, the other person's coming across. And if you can't communicate those feelings, then there's going to be tension. There's going to and it's not going to work out, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but the whole thing with like, uh, why are they so good? It, it takes DMs that have been that have those skills to make the game run w- in a way that's interesting and cool. And sometimes it takes people twenty years of like I've dedicated my life to this 
to make something watchable because it's such a fucking weird medium. Dude, watching four hours of a D&D game, you're essentially watching like a lot of like plot brainstorming happen, but it works for some people. For some people, it's not the medium they enjoy. For me, yeah. watching Critical Role, I prefer watching that and watching most of the modern series on Netflix because yeah, I, I love that, yeah. the nitty gritty and everything that kind of goes with it. I also am obsessed with the, the medium too, right? Mm -hmm. But it's it's a personal thing. And I think what makes it so successful is a combination of all those things, right? And the things that have worked for me are silly one shots with friends because Wait, it's okay, easier for okay, people okay, to come okay. in and out. Th this right? is blasphemy now. You have never, you have done one one shot, my friend. You have done a oh, single yeah, one shot. Sorry. You have, you have successfully, you have successfully done one one shot. Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't want to hear this. And that was, that was in 2020. You have not yet done a one shot in 2021. No, I know. I got, I came so close with Himbos from Heaven, uh, but then I made them draw cards from the stupid deck because I made that a challenge. The deck of many and, things. Uh, yep, after that seven-hour attempt at a one-shot, 2 a.m. Uh, our time, um, I was like, well, I can't just leave it here because like that would be I could, but it's not it's not fair for the people that were there and they watched it. They want to see the thing, you know. Like people yeah. still talk about like, oh, what's the what's the the thing, you know? Do you um, know when you're doing the sequel to Himbos? Um, this month, I still need to confer with, uh, the, the dudes. It's, it's a bit of a, a tough month, uh, a lot of birthdays, yeah. right? And so like, yeah, you know, and like, like everybody's um, stream anniversary is either in May or June. Yes. Cause we all started yeah. streaming after the pandemic started. Yeah, exactly. Mine right. was yesterday. And it was very fun. Yeah, Thank I know. I know. Came. It was, it was very fun. Um, <laughs> um was the first sub. It was the first um, sub. so we're almost, we, we've been talking for an hour. I don't want to take too much mm. more of your time, but, um, <clears throat> I did want to ask you the, the question I usually ask at the beginning of this, but I didn't ask you. Uh, do you remember what the first video game you ever played was? Pokemon Blue. Oh, wow. Yep. Pokemon first. That's Pokemon so Blue, fun. Yep. God, Pokemon Blue. Blue. What a what a game. It was Tetris, broken, but that but... doesn't count. Because it doesn't have my emotional uh, attachment to it. I mean, Pokemon Tetris, Blue. if that was the first game you played, that's the first game you played. Sure, it was the you first know, game I played. You know, you know, fun Tetris fact? My what? mom, my mother, who does not play video games at all, is god tier at Tetris. My mother can get to the rocket ship every single time. And I don't I understand because she is not a gamer. She is. <laughs> but my mother, for, for some reason, my mother can crush Tetris on the original Game Boy. It is. It's a reaction thing, right? Oh, yeah. It's like, she's oh, so yeah, good. Sure I got this, right? Yeah. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And I hated it my whole childhood because it's the one thing I never was able to be better at her then. And it's a video game. And I feel like my mom, my mom picked that up was like, I never have to play another video game. I've mastered one. My I'm mom good. did two games. Uh, the Kirby on the N64. Mm -hmm. uh, I was I was playing it. I owned it. And then she was like, I'm going to try it. She beat the game. I didn't as a kid. Uh, this, 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 this Terminator game on Sega. She fucking finished the Terminator. I would just sit there. Like, that's why, like, streaming is so much. I sat there and watched my mom play the Terminator. And I was mm -hmm. engrossed. I wasn't like, well, I want to play. I was like, no, no, no. This is, this is enough for me. This is great. That's so funny. And my mom would just sit there, like, on a weekend where it's like, that was me and her spending quality time. And she doesn't game. She plays, mm -hmm. like, Euchre on the computer. She, she Like, I can't even <laughs> expect my mom to go on Twitch. She doesn't understand how, like, the internet works. I can't mom, even this? spell Euchre, to be so honest. No, nobody can. Nobody can. They they type in an, a, a U. They type in an E. They type in like as many vowels as they can before they get like okay. This is uh, hopefully it auto completes to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's that's really funny. Um, yeah. well, uh, what do you have coming up? What's what's next for you? Jesus. Um. Oh, next. Um. What, what, what day are we today? The, the third, uh, yeah. June eighth, the Tuesday. I'm gonna release a poster soon. The semifinals and finals of the D and D PVP tournament. Oh, fun. Um, uh, yep. Yep. 
We've got Fantaxia versus Basic Wick Girl. Mm -hmm. uh, Fantaxia is playing one of those druids that can summon a bunch of uh, wolves or cows. Uh, Basic Wick Girl is playing Thirsty Gary, inspired by nobody we know. Um, and then the second match is going to be... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, that took me a second. I was like, wait, Thirsty? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the second match, the, the second semi-final match is Shalish, uh, one of my home game players, one of my mods, who is an incredible D&D player, uh, versus Chaotic Neutral Goblin's uh, Monk. So oh, really, right. really that'll be fun. Yeah. Um, uh, so it's going to be three matches, semi-finals, and then the finals, and mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah, the, um, first, the first round of that was really fun. Yeah, I felt um, so bad for Clarice. I was like, oh man, like you picked such a build, oh. and then you just, yeah, once, once you got out in the water, there's nothing you can do. She made every single good choice that mm -hmm. she had to make. The dice were just not with her. Which is and the how dice my were so with Phantom Man. Dragons. Yep. You oh, I played a campaign with her. Yeah, yeah. She never rolls well to save her life. Whether it's real dice God or roll her. twenty dice, it's always her luck is just. It doesn't matter. Yep. Yep. Um, yep, yep. Well, I'm really excited for that. That'll be very fun. That's uh, the June oh, yeah. 8th. And then uh, yeah. you stream. You stream other things. You you have your video games. That's yeah, uh, Twitch.tv/theplaymat. Go give him a follow. It's a good time. And uh, Matt, I just want to say thank you for coming and doing this with me. This was a really fun this conversation. This was so much fun. Anytime, yeah, buddy. I really appreciate right. it. Anytime, if you ever you know need to promote things, just reach out to us and we'll, yeah. we'll always um, be happy to have you on the channel. Hell yeah, we'll do. Yeah, let we'll us do. know when Himbo's is because uh, I really enjoyed part yeah. one. Um, um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to like create other D&D content that's not just like uh, the games themselves. I'm going to start, I want to start doing um, like an interview, like talk show with dungeon masters and players about the medium, about storytelling, oh, about fun. building things, information type things like that. But we'll see. That's going to probably be next month. Cool. Yeah. Well, good luck yeah. with that. And, uh, you know, I will, I'll see you around Twitch. Of course. I see online all the time. Hell oh, yes. <laughs> all right. Bye, man. Good. Hey, thanks, dude. Did you like it? I hope you did. It was fun. It was a fun conversation to have. Not gonna lie, Matt is a really talented, really smart person who just has some really great ideas and uh, is very articulate in the way that he presents them. And I appreciate that. Uh, we should have just kept recording because we actually ended up talking for another like 25 minutes after that. And it was all really good. And it got really fascinating. Although it also got a little bit personal and um, eh, some things are better left said in private conversations. If you like this episode, please come back next week for... Um, I think I can say it. I, my good friend Panfred Nudo is going to be on. Uh, he is recently affiliated with LEGO as a Twitch streamer. We're going to be having a conversation about the video games he plays and what it is like to be a LEGO streamer. It's going to be a really fascinating conversation. He is one of my favorite people on the planet. And so I really hope you come back for that. If you're watching this on YouTube, please like and subscribe to the channel. And if you are listening to our podcast feed, please consider going and giving this uh, five stars on Apple Podcasts. It is the biggest thing that you can do for a podcast is that five star rating. Leave a review. If you leave a review about a shit video games, I will read it on the podcast. So if that's something that you're interested in, I'll read whatever you write. Uh, as long as it's not racist, sexist, or like a death threat. Uh, against my wife like we got on YouTube this morning, which is great. Thank you for that person who decided to threaten my wife's life. Very cool of you. You are awesome. I bet you I bet you feel great about yourself. Um, but other than that, please leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It's it's the only way to find new podcasts. It's it, it bumps you up in that algorithm, y'all. We talk about it all the time. If you don't like me, you don't like this show, please hit the dislike button. Leave me in comments down below. The algorithm god is hungry, and we must feed her. And as always, my name's Nerdy. Do something nerdy tonight.